Hello, friends. Wow. That was a really good one. It is so good to be back here with you uh, for a second week. And uh, we're going to go back to John 10 and look at the second half, the second half of the Good Shepherd Discourse. So if you would open your Bible or your worship guide to John chapter 10, we're going to start reading at uh, verse 11. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and is not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand. He cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep who are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. There will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. And there was again division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and he's insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, you have spoken in in your Son, Jesus, and the Scripture that testifies to him. God, I pray that you would speak now in our hearts. Lord, I pray that we would hear your voice and we would not harden our hearts against you. Lord, help us to look to Jesus, the Good Shepherd salvation in all things this morning and this time. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Okay, well, as far as we know, as far as we know about Jesus, during his ministry in Galilee and Judea, he never tended sheep. We have this biblical image and even a cultural image of Jesus as a shepherd. There's this beautiful picture in, in your worship guide. Kids, on your, the page is just for you of Jesus holding a sheep. And this is something that if you hang around church for any amount of time, it becomes familiar. But Jesus himself, as far as we know, never actually went out into the field and tended sheep. And even this discourse, this little sermon that he's giving, he didn't give out in a pasture where there's sheep walking around. He gave it in the middle of a city. So something is going on here with this passage. There's some kind of metaphor that Jesus is drawing out. He's using uh, an image, that of a shepherd, to teach us something. 
So the big question this morning is, what did Jesus mean when he said he was the good shepherd? What did Jesus mean then and there, standing in the streets of Jerusalem when he said it? And what does Jesus mean today when he speaks through his word and we read that Jesus is the good shepherd? What does it mean? Sometimes the familiar, more familiar a biblical image is, the easier it is to pass over it. Is that not true? We become, we become so familiar with... It's like, a, it's like when you hear a song on the radio and you sing along to the words. And then it never occurs to you that you're not even thinking about the meaning of the words. You're just singing it. So let's, we want to stop and dig into this and see if we can really wrap our heads and our hearts around Jesus as the Good Shepherd. And I believe that taking time to stop and to look at Jesus helps us not just to know Him better, also helps us to know ourselves and helps us to get a grip on ultimate reality. So that's my prayer and hope this morning. If you remember from last week, Jesus gave this little sermon on the heels of a pretty significant event in his ministry. He was in Jerusalem and there was a man there who had who was totally blind. He was born blind and it was the Sabbath day and Jesus stopped along his way to pay attention to this man and to heal his blindness. And he did it in a way that's unlike any other known healing that we that we have in our Bibles. He didn't just tell the man he was healed. He didn't just tell him his sins were forgiven and that he was healed. He literally stopped and got down and did something a little strange. He spit in the dirt and made mud and touched the man's eyes. In fact, it says in John 9 that he anointed the man's eyes, which probably means that as he, his hands touched the eyes of this man, he was speaking a prayer over this man. And then he told the man, go wash in the pool. There happened to be a pool nearby uh, where this man sat. And the man went and washed in the pool and Jesus went along on his way. And when the man came away from the pool, he could see for the first time in his life. The townspeople gathered around and they were in awe. They didn't know what to do. So they went and they got the leaders of the synagogue, the Pharisees, to come and check it out because they were the spiritual authorities. And the Pharisees had a fit. First of all, this Jesus man is healing on the Sabbath. Second of all, obviously this Jesus is a sinner and this is a fraud. So he tells the man, the Pharisees tell the man, renounce this Jesus. Or you're out of the synagogue. And the man says, how can I renounce him? I was blind and now I see. And they had a big argument. And the guy says, look, I I can't do it. I I don't really know a lot about Jesus, but I know he healed me. I certainly can't renounce him. He has to be at least a prophet. There was a whole ruckus. After the ruckus died down, the man went to be by himself. I imagine him walking over and sitting on the curb and just thinking, what has just happened in my life? And then Jesus turns the corner, kneels in front of him. Remember, this man had never seen Jesus before. 
And Jesus speaks and he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? That's a, that's a biblical term for Messiah, deliverer. And the, and the guy says, yeah, I think so, but who, who, are you, who is he? And Jesus says, you're looking at him. What a significant statement. And this man falls down and begins to worship Jesus. And then the Pharisees, the pastors of their churches, if you will, the synagogue leaders, they begin to renounce Jesus. And Jesus looks at them and he says, you guys are the ones who are truly blind. And then he launches into this little sermon. First part, he says that he's the door to the sheep pen. And the big idea is that these pastors, these spiritual leaders, these community leaders, didn't, shouldn't have any credibility to the sheep, the people of God, because they're refusing to come to the sheep by way of the door. And Jesus himself is the door. Jesus makes a claim that he himself is the uh, authentication factor for spiritual leadership. And then he shifts the metaphor and says, I am the good shepherd. So there's the context. You know, these Pharisees, we talked about this last week, they weren't just spiritual leaders in their day. They had been around for a while, for a few generations. And part of the whole Pharisee platform, there were multiple groups in Jesus' time that were trying to give spiritual leadership to the people. Different political parties and denominations, if you will. But this Pharisee group, the thing that they were committed to was sort of a eschatological hope. In other words, they were committed to bringing about the end of the oppression of the Jewish people. They wanted God's kingdom to come. They wanted to expel foreign rule from uh, from the land. They didn't want the Romans to rule them. They wanted the Jews to be united. And the way that they thought that that would happen was by strict keeping of the law. They would look back to Exodus 34, which we read earlier in the service, where God said hundreds of years before all this, he said, look, my sheep, the people of Israel, their shepherds, their leaders have failed. So the sheep are going to be scattered and the Pharisees looked back and they said, see, the Jewish people are scattered and they're ruled by the Romans because the leadership has failed. So we are going to rise up and we're going to be the best leaders. And the way we're going to do it is by forcing everyone to keep the law strictly the way that we understand it. And so here in this situation, when Jesus looks at these Pharisees and he says, I, I myself am the good shepherd. He's making a confrontational statement. And when he says, I'm the good shepherd, it's confrontational. And I believe it means at least three things in that time and place and also for us today. It means at least three things. Number one, that Jesus is our salvation. He's the one who saves us from oppression. He's the one that would save the Jews from oppression that they were experiencing. It also means that Jesus is our intimacy. And that Jesus is our invitation. 
So if you're a sermon note taker, those are your big three things. Jesus is our salvation, our intimacy, and our invitation. Let me show you from the text. Jesus is our salvation. Look with me at verse 11. He says, I, uh, I am the good shepherd. I love when you read this in the original Greek, he says, I myself am the good shepherd. It's, it's real strong. I myself am the good shepherd. Good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. <clears throat> he who is the hired hand is not the shepherd. He does not own the sheep. He sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he cares nothing for the sheep. He is a hired hand. <clears throat> you know, when Israel was under a, hundreds and hundreds of years before this, even before the exile, when Israel was under oppression from the Philistines, do you remember maybe reading in First Samuel when the Philistines were marauding the the tribes of the people of Israel who had only been in the Holy Land a short time. People of Israel had gathered together to try to expel the Philistines. The Philistines were winning. And they gathered together in one particular place and both armies gathered up and then the Philistines sent out their champion, a giant named Goliath. They said, this is us. This is the symbol of our strength. This is, this is, this is our man, our champion, Israel, what are you going to do about this champion who has came to defeat you? And Israel looked at one another and they looked at their king, King Saul, and they thought, I don't know. I don't think we could do it. And then a shepherd boy steps out of the crowd and he says, I'd like to volunteer to go up against the giant. And David comes and Saul tries to Give him a lesson in armor and power and politics. And David says, no, 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 no. You see, I'm a shepherd. I have stepped out to protect my sheep tons of times. When the bear came to steal the sheep, I fought him and I wrestled him. And when the lion came to steal the sheep, I grabbed him by the mane and I killed him. I'm a shepherd. And I see that the sheep of the people of God are under attack. But God's promises are true. I'll step forward and defeat the giant. So David lays his life on the line to go against the giant of the Philistines, the oppressor of God's people. And he steps out as a shepherd to defend them. In the ancient Near East, shepherding was different And it's even different today in Israel, Palestine, than it is here in the United States. We're familiar with, you know, sheep on big ranches and, uh, you know, farmers who are who who are uh, work for the farming company or for the farmer's family go out on four wheelers or helicopters or horses and they drive the sheep like cattle. Well, in the ancient Near East, it was a totally different thing. You didn't drive the sheep. You led the sheep. You followed them. And it wasn't just your day job. You cared for your own sheep, your livelihood. Your sheep were your savings account, your net worth, your significance, your pet animals, your friends. Your whole life revolved around sheep. 
So when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, I lay down my life for the sheep. Laying down your life for the sheep was just something that shepherds did. And this Ezekiel 34 business, this passage that the Pharisees would use to defend their platform of pushing the people to keep the law their way so God would bring them deliverance. Jesus alludes to it. He says, I myself am the good shepherd. It's like he was saying, Pharisees, yes, you're right. God let the sheep be scattered because Israel had bad leadership. But the answer to to kicking out the foreign rule and Israel's flourishing is not in strict law keeping. It's in God himself coming to shepherd the sheep. It's in God himself sending a new David, a new shepherd king to unite the people. And I, I myself am God who has come as king. I myself am the new David. And just as David slayed the giant, just as David slayed the bear, just as David took the lion by the mane and killed him, I laid down my life for the sheep. This is Jesus. What Jesus was doing is he was telling these people that their deliverance from the big bad wolf, from the giant of oppression that's brought on by their own sins, doesn't come from religious performance, doesn't come from doing better, doesn't come from saying the right things. It comes from the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And Jesus is reminding us here in this passage that he's the one who went out and took the lion of sin and death by the mane and put it to death. But he didn't do it in some great display of power in politics as we understand it. He did it by entering into death itself on our behalf. It says, I lay my, down my life for my sheep. The word there in the Greek for for is the word huper. It means on behalf of, instead of. I lay down my life instead of my sheep laying down their life. And folks, this is who Jesus is. He is the Savior. He is our salvation. Now, if you are like me and you grew up in church, and uh, I would imagine that maybe you have heard this before because we're all here in church. And I want to remind you that this story of Jesus being our salvation, this truth is not something that should ever get old. It's like a beautiful diamond that the more you look at it, the more facets of glory you see in its composition. And Jesus isn't just our salvation for um, when we pass on and so we can go to heaven. That is true and it's glorious truth, but he's salvation even more than that. He's the savior for all of life. He's the one who is here to save you in every sphere of your life. He saves you from your sins. He saves you from death. He saves you from insignificance. He saves you from futility. 
He saves you from the lies that the world tries to tell you to steer you away from him. He saves you from the obligation to religious performance. He's your salvation. So when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, that's what he has in mind. But that's not the only thing he has in mind. He goes on to say in verse 14, I know my own, excuse me, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for my sheep. Skip down to verse 17. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. And no one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord and I have authority to lay it down. I have the authority to take it up. And this charge I received from my father. Jesus being the good shepherd means he's our salvation and it means that he is our intimacy. He is our intimacy just as I know the Father and the Father knows me. I lay down my life. This is a charge I receive from the Father. For this reason, the Father loves me. So if Jesus saves us, if he is our salvation from the big bad wolf of sin and death and futility, then the thing he saves us We know the thing he saves us from, sin, death, brokenness, futility. But what does he save us to? He saves us to intimacy with the triune God. Intimacy with Father, Son, and Spirit. Jesus builds a connection here in this little sermon that he gives. Between his sacrifice on our behalf and his intimate infinite, mysterious relationship with God the Father. Now, Jesus the Son and God the Father for all time, in eternity past, present, and future, for all time have been united in unimaginable, unbreakable intimacy. The Holy Spirit is mediates and connects the Eternal love between the Father and the Son. The Father has always been pouring out His love on the Son. The Son is Jesus, the Son, before He became incarnate, and even in the incarnation, even till today, has always been the one who is eternally begotten of the Father. That's like saying that He is eternally being born of the Father's love. It's not that there was a time when he didn't exist and then he was birthed. No, he has always been some mysterious way. His very identity is wrapped up in the Father's love. And what Jesus is saying here, just as I know the Father and the Father knows me, I lay down my life for my sheep. What he's saying is unimaginable. The Pharisees, They were looking for a leader to deliver them from the Romans and restore the the glory of the good old days to the Jewish people. This blind man was looking for answers to questions about how he was healed. And what Jesus is offering here blows their expectations out of the water. 
He is offering unhindered intimacy with the triune God. Folks, this is, this is something that we should be talking about a whole lot more. This is, this is something that totally blows cultural expectations of what religious practice is supposed to be out of the water. We're not just here to become better people. We're not just here because we need something to hold on to. We're not just here so we can go to heaven when we die. We are here because the eternal glorious God has invited us into unhindered communion with him. This is God's original plan for mankind. Did you know that? This is why God created people in the first place. Think about it. If you go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, when God creates the first human being, it says that God created the man, Adam is the Hebrew word, that's where we get the name, Adam. God created him from the dust of the ground, and then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living soul. That is an intimate picture. The eternal God takes something he has made out of dirt and he gets down with his mouth, with his breath, whatever that means. Oh yeah, the Hebrew word for breath is the same word for spirit. He, the Father, gets down into this man that he had made and intimately breathes Holy Spirit, spiritual life into this being and he becomes a living soul humanity from the very beginning is supposed to be the breathed out expression of the inner life of God made visible but we broke that by rebelling against God so this new man this new Adam this Jesus who shows up on the scene to bring life and healing and salvation he's the new fully realized fully Uh, breathed into human being. And he offers that intimate life that he has with the Father to us. This is why Jesus stopped along the way with the blind man, got down in the man's face where the man could feel his breath and hear his voice. And he made dirt with his hands to put them on the man's eyes, to anoint him, to re dust him. And then he says, go wash in the pool. Jesus is giving us a picture of recreated life. And the blind stupor of sinfulness that we walk around in, in our lives, Jesus brings healing. It's not just healing so we could be our best selves. It's healing so that we could see the beautiful communion of being filled with God so we can experience the relational glory of unhindered relationship with Father, Son, and Spirit. And then, He doesn't just bring us into relationship with the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. This new intimacy with God actually unites us to one another. The wolf comes and scatters the sheep. Right? 
But he, the good shepherd, his sheep know his voice and they all follow him together because they are one flock. Do you want to know what the answer is to the deep divisions, political, spiritual, socioeconomic, racial, that that we are experiencing in our culture? It's Jesus, the good shepherd. When we find unhindered intimacy with God, we no longer have the ability to reject other people in the same way. Once you have been accepted into God's presence and you become aware of the glory and the power of fellowship with him. He actually disables your ability to cling to division. He's the one shepherd. We hear his voice. We are not just called to him. We are called together. And this is his plan for the church. This is his promise for the church that one day every tribe, tongue, and nation, every ethnic group would come together, rich and poor, male and female, near and far off, would come together under the voice of one shepherd. So Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and it means that he's our salvation. It means that he is our intimacy. And then it means that he is our invitation. He is our invitation. Look at verse 16. I have other sheep who are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. There'll be one flock and one shepherd. This verse, Jesus saying, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. This verse has been used to justify all kinds of crazy ideas. I heard from one pastor, theologian I was listening to preach this passage. He was talking about like learning uh, in seminary, like some 20th century mainstream theologian talking about how this verse meant that Jesus was referring to life on other planets. Now, life on other planets, that's a conversation we could have. I love that conversation. And uh, that's awesome. Uh, But I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about here. Other people have used this verse to justify the idea that that maybe outside of Christ, you can come to God. That maybe Jesus' invitation to wide open intimacy with the triune God is too narrow. And that there has to be another way. I don't think that's what he means either. What Jesus says when he says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold and they will hear my voice. He's not talking about those things. You know who he's talking about? He's talking about us. How did this Jewish rabbi 2000 years ago in Palestine giving this message about the deliverance of the Jews? How did this become good news for us people all the way out here in Oregon? It's because he had other sheep that were not of that fold. And those sheep... We ourselves need to hear his voice. He's talking about us. You know who else he's talking about? The people who haven't heard yet. His invitation to unhindered, his salvation to unhindered life with God. Folks, it's not just for the Jews. It's not just for us here in Oregon. It's for the whole world. And that's why he calls us as his sheep. Part of it is to let other people know. 
Jesus is not saying that he is going to... Remember how the whole thing was because the Pharisees thought that if they did the strict law-keeping, it would kick out the, the outsiders, the foreign rule, the Romans. Well, Jesus is saying that the deliverance he offers is not by kicking outsiders out. It's by bringing outsiders in. And that's how we got here. So here's the big question then. Where do you stand in relation to Jesus? Because we were all born as outsiders. Have you heard his voice and been brought in? Here's another question. If you have, then have you answered his call to take this gospel of salvation and intimacy with God to the whole world? Have you told others so that they could hear his voice? This whole thing about hearing the shepherd's voice. Remember the whole ancient Near East shepherding, and even in the Near East today, they, they lead the sheep, they don't drive the sheep. Well, when they lead the sheep, part of that is they use uh, a special call. It's a, it's a regional culture, uh, cultural shepherding technique where each shepherd develops their own particular call. It could be a word, uh, it could be a whistle, or something like that. Uh, or it could be a little tune played on like a flute. And each shepherd had a unique call. And the, the way that it worked is the shepherd's particular sheep would, the shepherd would teach his call to the sheep. And then, then and forever, whenever the shepherd uh, played the tune or said the word or did the whistle, the sheep would come to him. And Jesus says that these sheep who are far off, the other sheep pen, will hear his voice and come. I read a story about uh, a, somebody who had taken a trip to uh, Palestine in the like, 1940s. And they told the story of how they were camping out with some shepherds out on the frontier. And there was like seven or eight groups of shepherds with seven or eight different flocks. And at night they put them all into one pen. For protection, And in the morning, all the shepherds came out and they stood around the pen and each one gave their particular call. And this guy, I guess he was like an anthropologist or something like that. He's doing this study. He watches as in the pen, uh, all these sheep begin moving around <laughs> and mixing up with one another. And then they each went and found their own shepherd. And then as their shepherds made the call, they followed them off into the distance and you know, different directions. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. The sheep that are out there that I haven't called yet, they know my voice. Let me close with another story about shepherding in the Near East. This one just blew my mind. Um, this guy, Gary Burge, wrote a commentary on the book of John. He was a Calvin Seminary professor um, and this is from his commentary. Um, he took it. Well, I'll just read it to you. Uh, there was a Palestinian woman who had lost her husband in a recent conflict with Israel and who was consequently in dire need. She was finally permitted by a very hesitant Israeli sh soldier to call her sheep out of a huge mass of sequestered and de detained animals. And the Israeli officer at first pointed to the pen containing hundreds of animals 
and humorously quipped that it was impossible for her to call her own small flock out of the larger pen. So she asked, could she separate them herself? Would he be willing to let her take her sheep? He agreed. So the soldier opened the gate with doubt. And the woman's son stepped forward and he produced a small reed flute. He played a simple tune over and over again. And soon, sheep heads began popping up across the pen. And the young boy continued his music and walked home, followed by his flock of 25 sheep. Each flock of sheep is attuned to a particular unique voice or call. Jesus is playing on that theme throughout this sermon. Folks, each of us and each of our friends and each of our neighbors and everyone in Oregon and everyone in the whole world is born into bondage. And by the world's standards, by our greatest religious experts, it's not worth trying to separate sheep from sheep. We might as well just go on our way doing the best we can. But God has sent his son to step forward as the shepherd king to play this tune. Have you heard his voice? He leads us out of bondage. He's our salvation. He's our intimacy, not just for us, but for the whole world. Let's pray.